Bibles and turn with me to Numbers. And I'm so thankful for America. America needs the touch of God badly, but I'm thankful for America. Numbers 11, the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Somebody said once about church growth, God doesn't care about numbers. I said, really? Well, there's a little book in the Bible called... Uh, we're talking about change. I've been talking about change or croak. And that's been the name of the series, and I believe that statement. <clears throat> I believe change or croak. God requires change, and God brings change. Now, I want to read to you. We're going to dive into the middle of the people who are in the wilderness experience. And they're being, they're being spoiled brats. They're playing their violin, and they're forgetting a lot of what God has done. Now, it says in verse 4, Numbers 11, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to, the, to intense craving. Isn't that an interesting phrase? They yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again, this wasn't the first time, and said, who will give us meat to eat? Now they pull out their violins and they start playing. Ooh, a sad song. And look how it begins. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I'll tell you, those folks had bad breath. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't help that. But now, now look at this. Here they go playing again. But now, <laughs> our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. <laughs> now, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I want you to notice the power of contentment. I want you to say the word contentment with me, would you? Contentment. He says godliness with contentment is huge gain. And contentment is what they did not have. Father, we thank you for your blessing today. Speak to us about change, for we as a church are headed to change. We are in change, positive change, good change, forward movement. And we thank you for it. Help us, Lord, to embrace it. In Christ's name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep the change. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about keep the change. Keep the change. God is a God of change. Now, God does not change, but God brings change to his people. The one unchanging thing in all the universe is God. God never changes. The same God that was carrying them across the wilderness is the same God who was here with us today. And the same God that lives in you. And he does not ever change. James said he is without shadow of turning. 
He does not change. His word never changes. He never revises his word to meet the needs or the, uh, the um, requests of a culture or a society or a person. His word remains the same because he remains the same. But he brings change to you and me. And we've got to learn to flow and to flex and to go with change. And if we don't, we'll croak. If we don't, we will fossilize. We will miss God. I can tell you there's churches all over the United States and all over the world that are filled with uh, people who are fossils. Their spiritual life has fossilized. They're not moving on because they've never embraced change. Now, we've been talking about the challenge of change and flowing with change. You've got to flex and flow with God. But today I want to talk to you about keeping the change. Keep the change. Can you say with me, keep the change? Now, this is, well, that was, that was powerful. Let's try, let's try. That was underwhelming. Let's try it again. Keep the change. Turn to your, turn your neighbor and preach a little bit and say, keep the change. Because when God brings change, then we've got to keep the change keep the change. Now, change is inevitable and change is non-negotiable. You can't get away from change. You can change or you will stagnate and you will fossilize. That's a fact. Change is the wake-up call. It's the alarm bell to new horizons and a fresh spiritual growth that God wants to bring. When God is going to do a new thing, He brings change. He brings change. And he'll rattle your cage and he'll rustle your nest. And he'll make you restless on the inside and you won't know why. And he'll prep you and prepare you for change. Now, the Bible is full of examples of this. Isaiah the prophet said, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Now here is God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. He says, I'm doing a new thing. And that new thing is going to require change. Now, who was he talking to? Well, he was talking to the children of Israel who were on the tail end of 70 years of captivity. You remember the children of Israel were carried captive into Babylonian captivity. They lost their home, hometown, their city, Jerusalem. They lost their homeland. They lost their blessing. They lost their destiny. They lost the place that God had given them. Because they had resisted God and sinned and refused to repent. And so God finally said through Jeremiah, you're going to go into captivity. And you can read the book of Lamentations as Jeremiah is standing in the doorway watching the people of Israel walk by, chained, emaciated, weeping, filled with regret, filled with sorrow, filled with, oh, if only I had this, and if only I'd done that, if only I had listened to God, but now it's too late. I'm being carried off into captivity. And they were carried in shackles and watched their homeland pass before their eyes, carried to a strange place, to a strange people, to a strange language. The psalmist gives us a little glimpse of their sorrow when he talks about them being at a river and their captors came and said to them, sing us one of the songs of Israel. And they said, we have already hung our harps on the willow trees. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They were filled with regret, filled with, oh, if only I'd listened to God. I don't know if you know what that feeling is like, but it's a terrible feeling. Oh, if only I'd listened to God. 
And when they were being taken captive, Jeremiah the prophet gave them one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. And even though they were being carried off in chains, carried off for their sin, it was a day of shame, a day of humiliation, a day of regret. Even though this was the blackest day in Israel's history, Jeremiah looked at them and said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope even in their darkest hour in their midnight in the midnight of their experience with God God had a word for a second chance I know the thoughts I'm thinking towards you I haven't written you off I haven't cast you aside this is only for a moment I'm going to regather you I'm going to pour out my love on you again this is a chastening your failure is not final I'm going to bring you back and give you another chance. I'm thinking good about you. I still want to give you a future. I still want to give you a hope. And I thank God for that verse, for it's the same with us. No matter what you've done, where you've gone, what you've said, what your regrets are, the mistakes you've made, God still says, I know the thoughts I'm thinking towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. That's good news. So they're carried off into captivity. Seventy years they sit there in Babylon. And after 70 years, when it's coming to a close, Isaiah the prophet writes them, speaks to them, gives them the word of the Lord and says, listen, behold, I'm about to do a new thing. And I'm going to bring you back to your land. I'm about to set you free. I'm going to move on somebody named Cyrus. I'm going to touch his heart. And he is going to let you go. The king of Persia is going to let you go. And you're going to come home and rebuild your city. I'm about to give you back your destiny. I'm about to give you back your calling. I'm about to return you to the place that I first planted you. Deliverance was in the air. Change was coming. They were about to be set free. And God wanted them to rise to the occasion. And here's what it was going to require. Change. They were going to have to embrace change. History tells us that thousands of them did rise to the occasion. Thousands of them did return back to Jerusalem. They did go back to their homeland. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city. They returned to their destiny and to their calling. They kept the change. Having returned to Jerusalem, they weren't always trying to go back to Babylon. They kept the change. Embraced the changes God was bringing. Came back from captivity. But history also tells us an amazing thing. Many thousands more stayed in the land of their captivity. They could have gone. All they had to do was get up and change and move. But they didn't do it. One Bible commentator tells us that 10 of the 12 tribes never returned. 10 of 12, including some from Judah and Benjamin, who did return. They refused to change. You know what they did? They did what you and me do. They, they settled for a level of misery rather than change. They settled for a level of misery rather than change. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to pick up and move. They wouldn't embrace the new thing that God was leading them to. And refusing to change, they miss God's best. You know, I believe you can miss God's best. I believe you can. 
And one of the things that keeps you from missing God's best is the refusal to flex and flow and go with God. Because God can lead you into a change. When Kathy and I were seeking God years and years ago, before I ever seen your pastor, we were seeking God about what his plan for us was. And I thought I was going to go into full-time evangelism. I was convinced of it. I sent out my cards with all of my endorsements all over the United States of America, and not one reply ever came. (laughs) You know, when God shuts the door, he shuts that door. (laughs) And I had endorsements from some pretty big guns, and nobody was interested. I was ready to go. We used to look up at God and say, hey, whole world's going to hell in a handcart. Here I am. I'm ready to preach. And I ended up going out into the woods and just preaching to the woods and preaching to the squirrels. A lot of squirrels got saved because I had nowhere to preach. And it was boiling up in me. I wanted to preach so bad. And nobody wanted to hear me. And all of a sudden we get this invitation from this far off place called East Texas. (laughs) Another land. Another language. (laughs) And God's, and, and, and to our shock, we went and did a little Bible study there. And we ministered one Sunday morning. And the people, there was just a little handful of people called us later that week and said, Jeff, we hear the shepherd's voice in you. Would you consider starting a church here? Well, I, I said what all of us say. Sure, I'll pray about it. But inside I was saying, ain't no way. We're city people. There is no mall there. There's no stores there. There's a dairy queen. And so I knew, I just knew, God's not going to take a city boy like me and a city girl like Kathy and tell us to go into the country. He'll send somebody country down there. But we made the mistake of praying about it. And God said, I want you to go. I rebuked it. I bound it. I loosed it. I refused to listen to it. And God said, I want you to go. And so it took a year for God to convince us. We kept going down there and leading them. But we thought, we'll lead them in this Bible study and get it get it uh, built to a certain level, then we'll just turn it over to to a country preacher. But God told me alone in prayer to go. Now, this required major change. You understand? Change. It wasn't wasn't an atom of my being that was country. I was raised in a cement jungle. Every tree was sacred. By the time I've been in East Texas seven years, I had a chainsaw. (laughs) Get this tree out of my way. Everything changed. But here's the deal. I had to, we had to, we had to embrace this, this incredible change that God was bringing. It meant leaving the church that we were so acclimated to. It meant leaving so many people we knew and loved. It meant striking off into total unknown territory. Driving down there, Kathy used to cry. And I I say, Kathy, what am I going to do? God has told us, I don't receive it. She's pregnant. One day she said, let me out of the car. I said, Kathy, we're in the middle of cow pastures. Where are you going to go? Just let me out. I let her out, drove about 10 yards, looked back. She's just kind of standing there. So I rolled back and said, you ready to get in? She She gets in. (laughs) finally we said 
yeah, okay, Lord, we'll go. I mean, it was like, we'll go to Mars. That's the way it felt. We'll go to Mars. We'll go to the moon. And we went, and everything changed. We were in the country, but we fell in love with those people. And before I knew it, I'm turning country. We built a house on four acres where the deer and the antelope really did play. I mean, we had, we had, we had a, a, a four acres where the best deer stand in East Texas used to be. And we got there, and, and uh, here was this tree that was known for being the best deer stand in that area. It was on our land. One day I was eating a sandwich in my chair at lunchtime. Kathy said, turn around. I turned around, and here was a big buck staring at me through the window. If I'd been a deer hunter, I'd still be living there. I would never have come to the city because they really would walk up there. We lived, we had a little house on the prairie. And we acclimated and we changed. And here's what I learned. I learned that when you flex and you flow with God, see, I'd, I'd have never learned how to senior pastor. I'd have never learned what I know now. This was God's step up. It looked like a step, not, not down in the sense that, that we were above these people, but it was, it was unknown to us. It was unfamiliar. But we did it. And I found that doors open when you flow and you flex and you change with God. After seven years, he told us to come back to the city, and I didn't want to do that. It took him a year to get me to do that. Because I liked my little house on the prairie. I liked no rush hour traffic. I liked no rush hour traffic. And one of the real appeals was there was no rush hour traffic. I mean, none. Every once in a while, you'd pass a pickup. And they'd always wave. And so we moved back, and we had to change again. But I'm telling you, God will lead you to change. Everybody with me today? But these people refused to change. They refused to change, so they missed God's best. And the Israel of the wilderness did the same thing. The Israel of the wilderness did the same thing. Having cried out for deliverance, they resisted the changes their deliverance required because deliverance always requires change. I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again today. If you say that you're saved and you know Jesus and you have not changed, you are not saved. So, Pastor Jeff, that's kind of judgmental. No, no, it's not either. It's what the Bible says. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you have undergone change. You, to meet Jesus is to undergo change. So when people meet you who you haven't seen in a while, they wind up saying things like, wow, what's, you're not the person I used to know. No, because I've met Jesus and he changed me. I'm not perfect, but I'm not where I used to be. He's changed me. You can't meet God and not change. You can't come into his presence and not change. The Israel of the wilderness did the same thing they did when they should have left Babylon and returned. They refused to change. They griped and they complained about everything. We read it, but let me read it again. We remember the fish, which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. What they're really saying is Egypt was better than this. And that was absurd. When Moses was called to deliver them, God described their condition to Moses. Here's what he said. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the cry or their cry due to their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. 
Listen to the words, oppression, crying, sorrows, slave masters. And they missed that? Have you ever noticed? You can be in living hell and get out of it and three years later look, look back and say, those were the days. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that about human nature? Oh, I remember in those days. But in those days, you were praying that God would change them. But their complaint was absurd. Oppression, crying, sorrows. Oh, no, no, no. Their prayer brought deliverance, but deliverance required change. They loved the deliverance, but resented and resisted the change. What was the result? Listen to what the result was. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war, the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, the men of war, who came out of Egypt, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. All God wanted them to do was two things, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey has it ever occurred to you that most of the trials you ever go through require those two things, and that's it, trust and obey? If you'll just trust me and obey me, you'll come through this. Most of God's teachings to, to us are to teach us to trust and obey. Every trial requires that you trust and obey. But in the midst of change, they wouldn't do either. They didn't trust and they didn't obey. They transitioned from Pharaoh to Moses, from slavery to freedom, from Egyptian food to manna, from the land of Egypt to the land of the wilderness, the rule of a dictator to the guidance of God. But they never embraced the change. They never kept the change. They never owned the change. God got them out of Egypt, but he never got Egypt out of them. And so because of that, they died in the wilderness and they missed God's highest now, how do you embrace change? Because we're in change, and a lot of you are in change in your personal lives. How do you keep the change? How do you keep it? How do you own it? How do you learn it, love it, and live it? And how, how do you get the most out of it so that it doesn't work against you, but it works for you like it has with me and Kathy so many times in our walk with God? I'm going to tell you some simple things about flowing and keeping the change. Are you ready? You've got to trust God with change. Now, isn't that elementary, dear Watson? And yet, I don't know about you, but I still have trouble sometimes trusting God. How's that for honesty from a preacher? I wish I could tell you I trust Him perfectly all the time, but I have my moments. Not where I really doubt Him, but my stomach gets tight, and I feel like, oh, He better come through. Oh, I hope He comes through. Have you ever noticed we trust the pizza delivery man more than we do God? You call up that place as a Domino's, we'll have it there in how long, or you get it free. And when you order that pizza, you have no problem. You get your table ready. You're, you get all the dogs put up so they don't attack the guy when he comes to the door. You, you, you know the pizza delivery guy is coming. Why? Because he said he would. And you know their reputation rides on them getting you your pizza. When they come to the door, you don't say, oh, thank God, I didn't think you were going to make it. They'd be backing off, looking around. 
Oh, I can't believe you're here with the pizza. We just, we were so filled with doubt. You don't do that. You say, here's the money, man. I've already counted it. Here's your tip. See you later. Thank you for the extra cheese. But when God comes through, it's, oh, whoa, that was a real trial. You got to trust God with change. The children of Israel had zero trust in God, zero. It was so bad, they actually accused him of bringing them into the wilderness to kill them. We know why we're here, they said. You brought us out here to kill us. How sick is that? (laughs) Now, in all honesty, I got to tell you, I don't totally blame them. I really don't. I've tried to put myself in their shoes. It would have been a tall order to trust a God I didn't know very well at all. They didn't know God. Even though they came from slavery, at least there was a certain predictability and familiarity with Egypt and with slavery. They didn't have their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents or their great-great-grandparents to tell them anything other than slavery and Egypt, slavery and Egypt. For four centuries, they had been in Egypt in slavery. That's all they knew. They had no other frame of reference. Then out of nowhere comes this guy claiming to be their deliverer. They don't know Moses. He comes out of the wilderness and says, I'm here to deliver you. All he's carrying is a stick that does tricks. A stick and a trick. Isn't that what it was? A stick and a trick. He pulls off some really spooky stuff too. Like uh, covering the land with stinky frogs, lice, hail, bloody water. Everything he did with that stick was kind of gross. How many people do you know that can hold out a stick and the water turns to blood? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to take them out to dinner. Would you? When when they finally get released from Egypt, they set out on a journey. Watch this. On a journey where they've never been before. And they don't even really know where they're going. The same spooky guy with the tricky stick holds it out over the sea which proceeds to split in half to create the first and last supernatural expressway straight through an ocean. If I'm one of them and I'm walking with a wall of water on either side of me, my heart's clean. I'm repenting of anything I've ever done or ever could do. But this was massive, y'all. All they'd known was Egypt. When the last Israelite steps across The two walls of water collapse on Pharaoh and his armies. They drown right in front of them. They look around at their one million or so compadres. Some of them can see Moses, but most of them can't. And the vast majority of them don't know him at all. And this spooky kind of guy with that tricky stick, they hear he talks face to face with God. They hear that his face glows in the dark. They're in a land they've never seen. Their food is so strange, they call it, what is it? They have no arrival date. There's nothing on their ticket that tells them when they're going to arrive. They don't know where they're going exactly. And God says, trust me. If I'm them, I'm having trouble with this. 
And we too are asked to trust God and change. Trust Him. And not only trust Him, but embrace and keep the change without going back. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He's going to direct your path. But guess what? Sometimes that path is just as unknown, just as spooky, just as difficult as this was for them. Don't expect the path God leads you down to be lit up with Christmas lights with angels playing their harps in the background. That's where trust comes in, when things are kind of spooky and uncertain. Trust comes in when you've got to believe in the character of the person you must trust. Isn't that what trust comes down to? A couple of weeks ago, I had to get eye surgery. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I was watching a rock fight, just watching. And I looked down, and I looked up just in time for it to hit me in my right eye. I didn't even have time to blink. And I'm not going to get gross on you, but my right eye filled up with blood. I went immediately blind, totally blind, and got ru- rushed off the ophthalmologist's office. And he, that was back in 69. And uh, he looked at it and said, I want you to lay flat on your back for the whole summer, and hopefully the blood will soak back in and you'll be able to see again. We talk about a summer of anxiety. I could picture myself, you know, asking someone for a date. Two different colored eyes. Want to go out? That's what I was thinking as a 16-year-old. <laughs> Kathy's shaking her head at me. I'm sorry. Anyway, here's the deal. Uh, it soaked back in and I could see, but it, it damaged my eye. It, it scarred it. And I had what's called a traumatic cataract. And for years, it didn't really bother me. Any, but it started to get worse. Long story short, just a few weeks ago, he said, let's go ahead and take it. So I go in there early in the morning before the rising of the sun. They get me all prepped. It's day surgery. They gave me a shot to knock me out for about five minutes so they could give me a bunch of shots around my eye and I wasn't awake. And don't you dare tell me you should have just done it in faith. Uh-uh. I believe in modern-day medicine, dear. So they knocked me out, and they did it. And anyway, I'm being wheeled into the operating room. I'm about to have my eye operated on. And in comes the, the surgeon, my ophthalmologist. And here's what he says to me. I'm laying there, uh, you know, and I'm awake while they're operating. And he says, well, are you scared? <laughs> and I said, well, no, he says, I would be. I'd be scared to death. That's what he said to me. <laughs> well, you're the surgeon, man. You're supposed to comfort me. <sighs> but I found myself saying something. Now, follow me. This came out of my mouth, unpremeditated. I said, I would be, but I trust you. When they told me they wanted to do this, I went looking for his credentials on the wall. Where'd he graduate from? Do I recognize it? How many honors does he have? How well is he known? I looked for his credentials. And I got to a place where I trusted his character. Now let me tell you, his credentials can't hold a candle to the credentials of Christ Jesus. And he says, trust me. And he's done more than graduate from some university with a skill. 
He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior, the Provider, the Healer, the Bread of Life, the Good Shepherd. He's our guide. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He spilled His blood. He canceled Satan's assignments. He raised us from the dead. He filled us with the Holy Ghost. He's coming back again. And so, say with me, I can trust Him. Now, here's the second way that you keep the change. Let me move quickly. You've got to see the beneficial side to it. See, change is a lot like manna. A lot like manna was to Israel. Change is a lot like manna was to Israel. What was manna like to Israel? They didn't like it. They didn't understand it. And they didn't see God's purpose in it. But you know what I've realized reading the Word? And this just so blessed me. God did not give that manna just to feed them. That manna was not given just to sustain their bodies as they crossed the wilderness to go into the promised land. That's not why the manna was given. I want you to listen to what the Bible says about the manna. It says, yes, Moses talking to the people. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then feeding you with manna. Now notice, by giving you manna, God humbled you. That's more than just sustenance. God had something in mind for their character. Something they were going to have to have in order to cross the Jordan and conquer the promised land. He humbled you by giving you manna, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, He did it to help you realize that food isn't everything. And that real life comes by obeying every command of God. Now, i got to tell you, do you know how many manna issues there are in your life? How many mannas God has put there? You don't like it. You don't understand it. You don't see the purpose of God in it. But a lot of what God allows to come into your life is manna because he wants to humble you and teach you spiritual lessons and bring you to another level. You look at it and you say, what is it? What is this relationship? What is this job? What is this struggle? Say, well, I don't see any purpose in it. But God says, no, there's purpose in it. There's a purpose in everything I allow into your life. There is a purpose for everything that goes through the filter of my protection and comes into your life. There's a, there's a purpose for everything. And it's to humble you and teach you that we will not live by human food. Life is more than a Ruth's Chris steak. That is not the ultimate life can give. Life comes from feeding on the Word of God. We are sustained by the Word of God. And God was trying to teach these people the value of their relationship with Him. So He took away the glitter and the glamour and the glistening and the appeal of something so simple as food so that they would not look forward to that or at that, but would instead look up and learn the lessons that would carry them over. And though they could whoop somebody, these were men of war. They couldn't learn. The manna was sent to bring spiritual growth to them, to teach them to depend on the Word of God and not just food for life. And I guarantee you, that's why God takes away the glistening 
and the appeal and the enjoyment of some things in life for you and me. When you're going through a tough time, a straightened time, a restricted time, a difficult time, this world and its appeal loses its glamour and its attractiveness. And it's at those times God wants us to look up and, and look in to the Word and learn that we are sustained by the promises of God. We are sustained by the faith and the hope that they bring. We are sustained by our walk with God. And so that's the lesson of the manna. And if there's manna in your life in relationships or a job or something difficult, just know that God's allowing that so that you can learn the higher lessons. Listen, God is always preparing you for the next level. Always. When he gave them that manna, here's what he was looking at. I see you in the promised land. What this man is going to teach you is going to carry you to the promised land. Because they would not learn the lessons, they didn't make it to the promised land. Listen to Hebrews 6, powerful stuff. He says, let's stop going over the same old ground again and again. Do you ever feel that way? Haven't I been here before? You ever been in a spiritual cul-de-sac? Haven't I been here before? Haven't I dealt with this thing before? Haven't I dealt with this lesson before, this person before, this circumstance before? Let's stop going over the same old ground again and again. Christian walk is not a merry-go-round. It's a race. He said, the Lord willing, we will go on now to other things. Did you hear that? The Lord permitting, we'll go up to the next level. And how do you do it? Learning to trust and obey. You trust the surgeon. All right, we're talking about keeping the change, embracing the changes God either brings or allows. I want to share one more with you real quickly. Can you take one more? The third way to keep the change is you've got to have some guts. You've got to have some guts in this walk we're in. Can I tell you a little secret? God doesn't raise wimps. Well, that's a terrible word, Pastor Jeff. I mean, he doesn't raise sissies. God raises warriors. God raises fighters. God's looking for people with a backbone who will look into the face of our hostile media and say, I believe Jesus is the only way, the one way. I stand on the Word of God. I'm not ashamed of what I believe, and I don't care what you think. God told Joshua four times at his commissioning to lead the people in Moses' place before he was commissioned to lead those people, God told him four times, be strong and brave. Moses, if you're not, or Joshua, if you're not strong and brave, you're never going to make it. If you don't mix your faith with bravery, you're never going to make it. To embrace change and keep it without wanting to run back to the familiar, you've got to have some guts, some intestinal fortitude, a backbone, steel in your spirit. The heart of a Savior but the hide of a rhinoceros. Courage is not a total lack of fear. It's a refusal to let fear control you. It is stepping forward even though the knot in your stomach is still there. I'm doing that with this building right now. Let me promise you. Stepping forward, but every once in a while there's a little knot there. I walk into it and I look at it and I say, oh, but I keep going. Because I know what's there for us. Without courage, most of what God wants you to do will never happen without courage. So let's stand together, can we?
You say with me, trust God and change. See the benefit of change. And have some guts. If you'll do that, you'll keep the change and live in it and possess the land. Father, I thank you for your blessing on us today. I thank you for this precious congregation. Saints of God, warriors called of you, possessors of the land, those who will flex and flow with change. I thank you, Lord, for every one of them. And I know, Lord, if we take our Christianity seriously, we're going to see great things. Help us to be those who keep the change. Now, while Steve is playing, I want you to take a moment and say, Lord, is there anywhere in my life where you've asked me to change and I haven't done it? I know that feeling very well. But if the Holy Spirit shows you something, will you say, Holy Spirit, I will yield and I will embrace that change and keep hold of that change so that I can enjoy the benefits. You pray right now as Steve leads us in a simple song. Thank you, Lord. Try.